Hello and welcome to an unexpected podcast. My name is Tim and with me as always we have Matt, Rainier, and Devin. On this week's episode we have special guest Matthew Hammond. Um, Hello everybody. Before we get into that, Matt, I know you had something you wanted to speak about. Yeah, well first of all thanks for having me on the show. Pretty excited for that. Um, just wanted to quick give a plug for uh, the Durin show which is a show all about the Middle Earth strategy battle game that uh, myself and my three brothers Marcus Mitchell and Myers run. Uh, we just talk about list building, things we like in the game, and we tend to do a lot of tournament and game reviews, so verbal bat reps, which is interesting for us, probably not so interesting for everybody else, but if, uh, if you have some spare time on your painting table, come check us out, The Duran Show. We also have an Instagram account, uh, the underscore Duran underscore show. Just curious, Matt, where can I find that if uh, I wanted to check it out? Ah, thank you. So it's, it's pretty much available on any podcast platform. So your typical Apple podcasts, uh, Google podcasts, uh, Amazon, any, any podcast platform we're published on. Okay. Um, just as a heads up to everybody new, we are now also on Spotify ourselves. So we're now available on Apple podcasts and Spotify. So if anybody would like to listen to us on that as well, we're available. Um, for this week's episode, we're going to be going over the Heroes from Gondor at War, and then the Warriors of Minas Tirith. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, we're going to go over a list by Nathan Adams. So I will bring it over to Matt Iverson, and he'll go over that real quick. All right. So uh, Nathan's list is an Asgillioth Ranger 700-point list. And he, he says at the end, um, kind of the bottom line for this, which is Ranger's list without being a sit-in-the-corner Ranger's Ranger player. So this is not an exclusively all-ranger list. So points to Nathan for keeping it fun for your opponents and um, tying a big weight around your ankle, which is fine. Um, so we're going to go through this list and maybe talk about some ways that we can, make the, we can tune this up maybe a little bit without changing it into the obvious just buy all rangers with spears and shoot your opponent to death. So the first warband is Faramir on horse with bow at 95 points. Uh, he is leading five Asgillioth veterans with shield, five rangers with spear, one warrior of Minas Tirith with shield and banner. The next battle or the next warband is Madril. He is leading four Asgillioth veterans with shield, seven rangers of Gondor, one ranger with spear. The next is a Captain of Gondor on horse. And it's, it's unclear what this Captain of Gondor has. Uh, so the Captain of Gondor definitely has the horse. It's just a horse because he's 65 points. Well, yeah, but he's, he starts off at 50 points. So he's uh, either got the lance, the lance or the shield, but not both. And it's not clear which one he has. Uh, then he has four Warriors of Minas Tirith with shield, two Warriors of Minas Tirith with shield and spear, and two Rangers without spear. Then we have Damrod, who is leading two Asgillioth veterans with shield and two rangers. Mablung, who is leading two warriors of Minas Tirith with shield, one ranger with spear, and one ranger. Anborn, who is leading two warriors of Minas Tirith with shield, one ranger with spear, and one ranger. And it totals out at six heroes, 26 bows, 49 models, and 11 might. So, thoughts on this list? I know I have, but I'll let somebody jump in because I've been talking for a while. <laughs> well, um, Nathan, have you considered just, you know, taking all Rangers and shooting your opponent's death? Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, this kind of... He kinda... considered that, but he still wants to have friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, 
obviously, as soon as you start taking a skill with veterans, it's very clear that you're trying to make this more of a thematic list. I mean, the, the skill with veterans, unfortunately, don't really carry their weight in points, but it looks like you have a lot of rangers without spears. I'm noticing in Majora's Warband, you, you have just rangers with swords, and then there's, once again, Captain of Gondor, once again, just rangers with swords, and the same thing in Damrod, same thing in, like, a lot of these. So I'm actually curious why your rangers, like, okay, I know you didn't want to sit back and shoot, but I, I, I would have figured the point of the list was to put the rangers behind the shield wall-ish kind of guys, uh, but that's not really their function here because you don't have any spears. So <clears throat> your Osgiliath veterans don't have the spears, and it looks like a lot of your warriors means here don't have the spears. So one just note I would say is put more spears in the list, unless your intent really is just to swarm around your opponent. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you just wanted to bring this thematic lift list up to speed, I would say more spears by default. Uh, Captain of Gondor, I would give him a lance over the shield. <clears throat> His purpose is heroic march and the hitting power. Yeah, hence you have him on a horse. So I think he's a good add into the list. Um, other than that, I mean, like I said, trying to give advice here without just saying you need more bows, uh, that, that would be my biggest point is spears in the list. Alex, do you guys feel like with, with the list that obviously I think he's trying to do like a, a third kind of a thing with the bows. So then that way he still gets the, you know, that kind of benefit. But are, are you happy with like a third Rangers, a third Ascalia Thetans, a third Warriors of Minas Tirith, or do you guys think it should be something like what he has now? Well, I actually think for like Damrod, Mablong, and Anborn, the makeup could be tweaked a little bit because if you are not going to sit in the corner and you're going to try and take the fight to your opponent, which is not this army's natural anyways, uh, like take Anborn's Warband, for example. He's got two Warriors of Minas Tirith with shield, one ranger with spear, and one ranger. Well, if you're moving that warband up, you definitely want some more people to support around Anborn, because Anborn can get isolated and killed really quickly. So to Devin's point on spears, but I think you actually want to tweak the warrior concepts if you're going to play it this way. So I guess my thought on this would be, I think this list could benefit from some warband specialization here. As, first of all, as far as the Captain of Gondor goes, he should get both the lance and the shield. So find, find five points from somewhere and give him both of those things. Uh, and then he becomes your hitting mobile hero. I think I would concentrate the warriors of Minas Tirith in his warband, take out the rangers, and then you just have one warband of tin cans the shield wall of tin cans with the captain of Gondor on the horse who can march them around if he needs to and has the, has some hitting power to come in and, um, and run some guys over uh, uh, with his lance. Then I would, if you're going to have a Gilead veterans in this list, I would put them in Faramir's Warband. I don't think there's any reason to put them any place else uh, because they get the fight for from Faramir and, yeah, it, it's a little redundant with with the Rangers there, but I think if I think maybe you you put the Warriors of Minas Tirith in with the Captain of Gondor's Warband, you can put as Gilead veterans in Faramir's Warband, maybe with some Warriors of Minas Tirith uh, behind them or some Rangers uh, behind them. Those are your two close fighting Warbands, 
And then I would take Madril's Warband, Mablung's Warband, Damrad's Warband, and Anbor Anborn's Warband, and I would concentrate your rangers there. You still end up with rangers in four different places, so you're, you can shoot from four different angles. You've got Madril, so Master of Battle doesn't really scare you that much. The odds that you're going to end up coming someplace you don't want to go go down dramatically with that, so it's unlikely you're going to have like Damrod and some rangers you know, trapped in the middle of nowhere, unless you want them to be, unless it's literally the middle of nowhere and their job is just to go and shoot stuff. But Anborn, and in particular Mablung, with his, uh, uh, his special rule of you know, basically giving stock unseen to his whole warband, um, don't really benefit from having Warriors of Minas Tirith in with them. Their job is just to go someplace away from the battlefield, hide in some terrain, and shoot out of it. And I don't think you need, I think the, the warriors of Minas Tirith are kind of wasted in that situation. And you could use them just to beef up Faramir's warband and the captain of Gondor's warband, who are the guys who are going to do your fighting in the battle line. What do you guys yeah. think if, if this list is designed to go engage, what do you guys think about bringing Frodo and Sam to get the have fight value in the free heroic combats? If you're trying to take the fight. That's a nice thought. I like that. I like that thought actually. That's probably yeah. I like it too. Combined with the captain of Gondor with a lance, like that sounds like a really spicy combination that can do a lot of damage. Oh yeah, throw in the captain of Gondor with the lance, and then have Frodo put on the ring, run through the lines, and uh, have the fight value of whoever mm -hmm. he's fighting. That's a good idea. I mean, seven hundred. Oh, well, yeah, seven hundred points. You're dealing with a larger, um, larger heroes and such. So I think Frodo probably becomes a little more necessary here because I mean, once you get an Azog running around. He'll take yeah, out half nothing. this list with <laughs> you. There's like nothing you can do about it. I have a question. Can you add knights to this or to no? Oscar? And actually, no. I mentioned that. I was going to mention yeah, that is the fact that um, Mons were bringing it up now is that if you're going to go 33 percent rangers, d reasonably, I, I mean, I get you can still keep it thematic to a rangers of Athelian list without playing the legion because you're not getting the bonuses or the benefits of the legion anyway. So I would just skip the legion entirely. Play it exactly as is, but then add in a few knights. And that was something I was going to bring up. And it, it just, you're not really changing too much of the format of it. You do have a captain on horse. You do have farmer on horse. So it's not like, you know, you're ruining your theme by having a few more horses. Um, but having a few knights probably would add that versatility you need for a few missions that, you know, require that. Um, so that's one thing I would do. If you're going to go 33 for Simthos, skip the Legion and just play it normal. Obviously, once you talk about. Yeah. <clears throat> Although he doesn't have 33. Yeah, he, he has slightly above. Oh, he, yeah, yeah, so he's, he has, he has he's 21 regular bows plus five heroes. So he's 26, okay. but 21. So he's slightly above 33%, but he's trying so. to keep it to like that 40-ish percent. Kinda, okay, I, I guess I was going off 40 to 50%. Tim's so. comment earlier, I thought he had 33% bows. So. Yeah, it, it, it's close though. No, okay. but speaking of bows too, like I, I like what Matt said Uh and a lot of times when you, you have crossbows or you have elf shooting, you want to kind of spread it out. But with, with your list, I'd, I'd also consider concentrating it because a couple shots here and there of strength two isn't going to do much damage. But if you have like six, six shots from one angle, six shots from the other, it's going to be a little more menacing and give you a little cover fire, especially when, it, when, you, when you play this aggressively, which, which, which will most likely happen. I think an interesting point here is that at 700 points, even though, you know, 700 points is still a high amount of points, 
he does have almost 50 models with 11 might. I mean, he has almost that swarm mentality with 26 bows. I mean, it should do pretty well. I mean, obviously you got to worry about, you know, the, the fluffiness of the Ascalith veterans, of course, but he has a yeah. lot of numbers and he has a ton yeah. of bows to go with those numbers. So he, he should do pretty well at 700 points with this list. I mean, yeah. And I, I kind of, I kind of like even see like he might've done this on purpose but why he didn't bring so many spears because I wonder if he has that mentality of the swarm, especially considering he has, let me see, one, two, three, four, he has six war bands. Well, do you think he so cannot he think of a competitive for- army that doesn't support? Like, I'm, I'm trying to, like, think of that. Because, like, literally, I mean, when we talk about Lurks of Scouts or we talk about, you know, Dunlin Pre, you know, the, the, the update or anything, any list, honestly, that doesn't have spears, hell, you have a hundred ruffians and they still don't win games due to the lack of supports. Um, I don't, I mean, not supporting your battle lines. I mean, having only one dice in the fight, you're just asking for the, the slow death. So would well, you, so, so you would drop one or two models to make up for the fact that they don't literally one model would give him like eight, eight spears, eight, yeah, nine eight spears. spears. Yeah. Um, it's just the, the problem is when you don't have the spear supports, I mean, yeah, he has the banner. That's great. But if, if you don't have spear supports, when you're winning fights, you're often not killing. And if, and if you're not winning fights yet, you're, you're losing the fights. Right. And then he has defense four or half of his list. Uh, so 50 models is great at, you know, 700 points, but without the ability to add those extra dice and really start compounding, I mean, every model you kill starts creating a landslide effect on your opponent. Um, and in creating a wave that you're, you know, obviously you're killing more and more and more. It's, it kind of exponentially compounds itself. So I, I just think that not having spears really kills this list's effectiveness. Like you really need it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to understand Rainier. Maybe you have a, an example of that swarm list that, you know, has one games, one tournaments, but you know, you could yeah. argue hobbits, I guess. I'm, I'm just thinking more <laughs> like cor- Corsairs because he has, yeah, that's exactly a bit, what I was kind of thinking. He has More a bit of shoot, shooting. They support, but it's not so much the battle lines. And with this with this list, there's so many small war bands that you can kind of I don't I don't I don't know. I just see it as if you play it right, and of course it takes a lot of a lot of uh, practice to do that. But if you play it right, you can have quite a few uh, war bands on the back end of your opponent. Yeah, I mean, there's a big sense. difference between yeah. There's a big difference between no spears and half spears, and I mm-hmm. think you can, yeah. you don't need to have half spears to have this be successful. I don't think he's half, but he has like seven. Uh, yeah. No, but I, I I see your point though. Like eight dropping a model for eight more will yeah, go really uh, far, yeah. really far. I I I think so, but I don't think he needs to go. I don't think he needs to think of this exclusively as a, um, you know, I'm I'm going to fight this entire army in two ranks. Cause I don't, I, I think Rainier's point is valid. I don't mm-hmm. think he needs to do that. I mean, obviously give a spear to the guy with a banner. Um, Cause he's not going to be in the front rank anyway. And you can probably drop Madril's Asgiliath vet or all of the Asgiliath vets to just warriors of Minas Tirith. And that could give a bunch of additional Rangers spears. I mean, the other big problem as Matt H brought up is this list doesn't have a way to get rid of big heroes. I mean, Somebody like an Aragorn or a Boromir or an, or a uh, Isildur could just run rampant over this list, um, and I think that's 
that's a good thought of putting Frodo in. So you have kind of some check to a big killer, uh, a big mounted killer in here that, you know, if, if you're in a scenario where he's going to get into combat on turn one and you're never going to have the chance to shoot him, you got to have Frodo. Frodo is really your only chance to kind of put him in to try and take that guy down or at least off his horse. Okay. So as a general consensus, would you guys say add Frodo if possible? Yeah. For a yeah. seven hundred point list, you're you're gonna need an answer to the big guys. Okay. And it even, if it even brings like to the theme too, and he's considering like he says he says in his in his review he wants to do conversions to make it really fit 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 probably the books or the or the movie scene. So I think yeah, add Frodo. <laughs> All right. What about Sam? I'd be, I'd be really tempted Sam? to add Sam as well, and then uh, swap out Faramir's bow for a lance so that you could get those heroic combats going off with a little more. You, you can't actually give Faramir a lance in the list. Oh, you're playing can't. as Gilead Land Ranger. Ah, yeah. All okay. you can do is give him a horse. Good call. I'm, so a little hesitant. Sam? I'm a little hesitant on Sam. I'm not sure what he's adding to the list without taking away numbers. Cause you're already taking Frodo, which is a hefty, what? 60 points, I think. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm pretty hesitant to, cause it seems like his intent is to swarm, especially with the lack of spears and uh, you know, the massive defense for, but like, you're starting to really punish that swarming more. I mean, I get it's probably like five models, but still, like the fact that you're already sacrificing so many models to get Frodo in there. Why Sam? Just curious. The the free heroic combats okay. tend to tend to yeah. pile up, but he does have plenty of might already. To your point, Devin, so it might not be worth it with eleven <laughs> might. He's probably getting a few of those off. Now, okay, so the Rangers base, I think, are what eight points, if I'm correct. So uh, yeah. So I mean, if nine you were spear. Yeah, and, and if we were getting rid of... Most most models in this list are around eight points. So in order to get Frodo, you'd have to drop eight models. So is dropping eight models for Frodo worth it? Go yeah, down to I mean, 41? I, I think I would also drop Damrod. Yep, actually, I was about to say that. I'm like, it, it really comes down to dropping Damrod. Okay, so you Because he's not Damrod abusing the bow okay. limit anyway. Damrod serves right. very little function in this list. Gotcha. So I, I think dropping Damrod is the right move. Okay, so so you drop Damrod and like four guys. And Frodo's four guys. bringing in two yep. might anyway. So yep. Okay, all right. So I think the general consensus consensus Nathan is to uh, add Frodo, drop Damrod, and add the spears to as many um, models as you can, so you can kind of get that front rank back rank kind of a thing. Um, if you ever at least tried like eight more spears, not as many, but you know. Just yeah, like- yeah. If you can get if you can get at least eight more spears, that'd be great. Uh, if you're going to try it out, let us know and let us know how you do. If anybody else has any lists for the future episodes, please leave those in the comment section as well. Uh, we're going to move on to the main topic for today, which is the warriors of Minas Tirith and the heroes from Gondor at war. So we're going to start off with the heroes first. So I'll move over to Rainier for the first hero. Uh-oh, here we go. Forgot his profile already. Do you want me to read it out? I can read nah, it out. No, nah, nah. okay. So I'll, I'll be talking about here in the tall. Um, first off, it's he's an amazing model. Um, you see him on Forge World website. Very cool. Um, Huron's base is, and I guess you'll correct me, Matt, if I get it wrong. Fight five, uh, two attacks, two wounds. Um, courage five. Courage five. So he's courage don't five. Don't forget strength four and defense six. Strength four, defense six. Uh, three one one. Um, he has what heroic strike and heroic strength and heroic resolve. Eh. Strike well, strike, strength, and resolve. You get, you got it with the third one. 
Sorry, I, I buzzed you too early. <laughs> nice. We gotta we gotta get rid of Rainier. He hasn't memorized the whole book yet. Yeah, it's horrible. I actually don't even know how to play the game either. <laughs> Why are you here again? Who invited you? I'm here because you guys said the other guy like bailed. So I was like, I guess I'll go. <laughs> nah, so he's he's good. Um, he can be mounted. He has a Master Forge sword, which in translation means he gets the Burly special rule. He has Master Forge, right? Yes, Master yeah. Forge. Okay, you got, you're making sword. faces, Devin. I'm like, oh no, am I really messing this up? <laughs> okay, so he does have special rules that correlate to scenario play. Oh, there's that face. Um, if Huron is still alive, you're le- you, 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 he negates the leader points. Um, uh, uh. Here we can you read it off for me? Matt? Yeah, you might as well okay. read it, Matt. At this point. <laughs> if the leader it's been of your a rough army, day, guys, it's been a rough day. <laughs> <laughs> so then, the the rule is line of command. If the here, if the leader of your army is a Gondor hero, then whilst Huron the Tall is alive and on the battlefield, your opponent cannot score victory points for slaying the enemy leader. And it's it's that last clause that's the important one because you still can get victory points scored against you for getting your leader for getting your leader wounded. Uh, you just do not get the victory point scored against you for having your leader die. And that that's a really good rule. I mean, if you bring somebody like uh, Denethor, and it fits the theme quite well, because of course Denethor is going to die once you throw him in combat, but you'll only give the opponent maybe one victory point instead of three. So he has that rule. And what is the other rule with the reroll? In defense of the king... Uh, so for this rule, whilst he is within three inches of either Denethor or Aragorn, King Alessar, Huron gains a fearless special rule and may reroll a single d6 when making a dual roll. And just in case it gets asked, that does in fact stack with the banner. Okay, and he's 85 base or 85 with the horse? He, he's 80 base, 90 with the horse. Okay, so right off, right off the bat, Huron is a beast, in my opinion, and you see him at many tournaments in the U.S. and I'm sure abroad um, at any point system, because and he's a hero of valor as well, correct? Or is he? He's hero of valor. He's valor. Yeah. So right off the bat, you have a model that's about 90 points, can lead 15 models of models thrown in rangers or cheap cheap anything uh, knights with lances. Um, so he's a really good take. You see him a lot accompanied with Faramir, Boromir, Denethor, even Aragorn in some instances. And you'll also see him allied in with the likes of Rohan or the Fiefdens. But I, I, I really like him. I think he's, he's a hunk. He kills stuff really well. But I think um, for players that want to bring him, be careful because he is soft. The model doesn't look soft and the profile doesn't look soft. But boy, is he soft. I've come against him many times where I've killed him in shooting because he has one fate, two wounds at D6. Um, I've also come across him many times using him where uh, I'll fail, you, I mean, two dice, three with a charge, but let's say two dice against another hero and you roll crap. You maybe roll a one or a two and you don't want to blow all your might to, to, to get up to the six or, or even the five. And he can die like, like that. Or, or let alone he can get one wound, and on the second wound, say you roll a fate roll and you get a one, and you have to blow all his might. So he's he's really good at any point system. I know you guys, I don't, will probably have stuff to say about him. I really, really like bringing him, and I really like seeing him at tournaments, just for everything he does and some of some of his tools, as Matt read, 
are kind of minor and you don't know they're there until kind of the end of the game or in a, in a silly chance you're like oh yeah i get two two extra dice rolls to here for like two two banners the banner and my special rule so yeah he's he's really good but be careful when you play him because he is quite squishy if you don't use him well yeah no. No, I, I mean, there's not really a whole lot to add to this guy i mean obviously he is what he is i mean yeah i think he's absolutely worth taking um just remember the scenarios you're in because you obviously play him different in like let's say domination where killing the leader doesn't even matter um but i mean the best part is even outside of his special rule he operates as an excellent troop killer uh plus one to wound in my mind the separation of good great heroes is that plus one to wound factor anytime i see burly mastercrafted weapons anything like that plus one to wound is huge it's like plus three strength it's 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 really really effective so um I, I think his fight five separates him too from the yeah. pack yeah, because absolutely. it gives him the ability to heroic combat against fight four troops that many, as we'll see when we're talking about Gondor heroes, don't doesn't have. Yes, absolutely. And I, I would say just because of how squishy he is, definitely don't hesitate to spend his might to, you know, start killing troops off. Um, he can really swing a game if he kills like four or five models just alone. Like, I mean, it doesn't sound like much, but like it, as he starts chomping through a, a flank or something like that, like he can really swing a battle. So, And he's, he's not one that you want to save. I know there's a lot of uh, Gondor heroes you want to save their might for heroic moves and stuff. Now, spend his resources till it's too late because he's going to die. Yeah, he will die every <laughs> game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is one of the reasons why you, you tend not to want Huron as, as your primary killer. Um, mm. You know, if he's going to be the primary... If that second-tier hero is going to be the primary killer, I think you really want... Faramir, if for no other reason than the extra fate and the two extra will. Um, but if you're if you're depending on Huron is like he's he's a great you know kind of backup guy. He's the guy that runs around next to Aragorn or runs around near Denethor and gets a bunch of kills as long as you have other people doing stuff. But the the times I've seen people kind of get in trouble with Huron when people you know take Huron and they're like, yeah, this is the guy who's going to get all of my kills. Because he, you know, he, yeah, he doesn't. If if he's the guy that the enemy caster is going to focus on, he's not going to give you much because his one will be gone, and then um, you won't have much to do with him. Fortunately, you end up seeing that work out naturally because most lists where I've seen Hiranin often have Boromir or Aragorn as the leader, so it ends up where you end up having dual threats anyway. I've very rarely seen it where Denethor is the leader. Not to say like that's a bad idea; it's a great idea but I just don't see it. So um, most of the time he is paired up with another solid hero. Yeah. De Denethor, um, Denethor, Boromir and Huron are a great combination because yeah. he's this, he's the second tier killer and he gets the special rule by, by hanging around Denethor. So I, I can only speak for myself, but I think, I think a lot of people will at least have the same opinion of, I try to get Huron as my secondary hero a lot of times when making the Ministerial list. Do you guys kind of, like when you make a list, let's say you try to take Boromir, is Huron the second hero you try to fit into that list? Or is there some, is he kind of just like less of a try, let's say auto-include? Is he less of an auto-include for you or is he kind of... I wouldn't call him an auto-include. He It's really depends on what you're trying to do with your list. I mean, he's he's built for... I don't want to say specific lists. I mean, he works in a wide range of lists, but he's not an 
auto include. There's, I, I think the problem is Gondor just has so much stuff yeah. they can work with that you end up like having options. He's, I, I think he's a fantastic addition to the game in the sense that he is just a great option, but yeah, not an auto include. He's not something like you're gambling for Rohan mm-hmm. or anything. Like he's not like that. So Matt, Matt H, do you see him a lot in Texas? Just curious oh. what the meta is there for Minas Tirith. So most of the time when I play in Texas, I see Boromir and they bring Iralas with Boromir. Um, when I tend to see her in is when I'm seeing Gandalf the White, uh, which I don't know pairs too well, but that's the way I usually see it. Um, I have her in and just most of the time he just doesn't make the list because because he is squishy, because he doesn't have that heroic defense, you'll opt for someone else who can go tie someone up with the bodyguard special rule and then call a defense and keep the Balrog busy for a little bit longer than her and Ken. So. You see Balrog a lot in your community? Unfortunately, and I think now that this new <laughs> legend is going to grow a little bit larger. <laughs> even more. Which I have a rant for later on in the episode. That should be on every podcast, the Balrog <laughs> rant be. now. <laughs> and I don't think he's overpowered, Matt. I think he's unfun. That's that's <laughs> the big difference between not fun. It's like Smaug, not overpowered, just not fun. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I my Balrog tur- rant. Tournament, tournament <laughs> one hundred one. I think I think we're gonna rename this to the Anti Balrog Podcast. But we digress. <laughs> <laughs> it's about to jump down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for pulling me back, man. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, so the next model we're gonna move on to is Ingold, and I'll move that over to Devin. All right, so I don't have this guy uh, in front of me as far as the uh, the book. So Matt, do, do, Mike, do you want me to read through here? Well, I'll go I'll go through it all except for Resolute Fighter, in which case you can read that. All right, <laughs> but from what Matt told me earlier, okay, <laughs> he's sixty five points. <laughs> he's a uh, fight four, strength four, defense seven, two wounds, two attacks, uh, courage four, three one one for might will fate, and then he's got heroic defense and strike. And uh, he's got heavy armor, sword, shield. He's got the shield wall special rule and resolute fighter, uh, which before I go into my whole analysis of Ingold, Matt, what is resolute fighter? All right. Ingold and friendly Gondor warrior models within three inches of Ingold do not back away if they lose the fight. Their opponent must back away instead. Exclamation point. There you go. All right. So now for those who have seen it, there's also an FAQ on this guy. All right. Now, Matt, do you have the FAQ in front of you? Yeah, let me let me pull that up. All right. It's so, literally holding like this whole podcast on his shoulders. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but why, for being here. <laughs> how is that different? Um, so, question, Ingold's Resolute Fighter special rule states that he doesn't back away. Does this mean he cannot be trapped? Answer, no. Even though Ingold doesn't back away, he will still count as being trapped for the purposes of doubling strikes and other special rules that require a model to be trapped. Thank you, Matt, for being prepared for me. So, um, <laughs> uh, basically, all right. So, the interpretation of that FAQ, before I go into everything, it, it almost, if you read it literally, it can almost feel like it means or is intended to mean uh, he's always trapped at all times if he ever doesn't back away. Because technically, by the definition of trapped, and I probably have to go into the whole analysis of what it says specifically, but it, if you don't back away, you are trapped, which he's not backing away. So, therefore, he is trapped in this. FAQ allows him to be trapped. So he's always trapped if he uses a special rule. I don't think that's intended, um, mostly because I have seen comments of 
Jay kind of trying to clarify this. In fact, this FAQ, I remember being a huge discussion of confusion as soon as it came out uh, regarding this. And I think it's only intended to mean like if you support him like with a pike wall or like if he would have been trapped under normal circumstances, then now he's trapped. So that's how I would recommend playing it. Um, but if it causes some commu- confusion in your community, I completely understand. Regardless but, of that. Oh, but just so, just so I'm clear about how to interpret this, because I, I, I think the way this is supposed to do it is, so if Ingold loses a fight, go through the routine of trying to back him away. And if he can back away, he is not trapped. If he can't back away, he is trapped. Then once you've kind of done that routine, take all the figures and move them back to where they started and continue to play the game is that i mean is that how you play it i don't play it like i mean basically without the actual movement part <laughs> like i mean i just if if well i mean if there's like i mean obviously if you're just looking at it and he's you know it, it's just him fighting one other guy you don't have to do this but yeah. if you're in a complicated situation where it's not clear if he would be trapped if he were anyone but ingold I think that's what you have to do. You yeah. have to go through and, and, you know, measure to make sure to determine if he is or could or could not back away. Yeah. And yeah. if he could back away, he is not trapped. If he couldn't back away, he is trapped. But then after you've kind of done all those machinations, you just put everybody back where they would have been and resolve. It. <laughs> I mean, and that's then have your easy... opponent back away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Have your opponent back away. It's an FAQ that causes a little more confusion than, like, I think it would probably be just better off with the rule it had, which is he basically almost can't be trapped unless knocked down. I I liked it like that, but, like, hey. Yeah, you can do it like that if you want to check if he's actually trapped and, you know, move him, move him out the way. I think that's probably the best way to do it if you want to do it, like, in a tournament, especially on top tables. Uh, So, yeah. I mean, I don't do that personally, but then again, I don't play in gold very much, so... Um, from the times I have played this against this guy, uh, I mean, you know what? He is solid at what he does. He is very clearly an objective holder. He is someone who's not going to move off of the objective. Extremely thematic to what the intent of, um, I'm sorry, his lore and everything like that. So, uh, I mean, something you should note, I mean, he's not real effective at doing much else. He is a person who is just meant to hold the line and not die. And so if you're going against that Balrog in uh, Matt H's league, then he's great. So <laughs> Heroic Defense, Heroic Strike, he has what he needs to hold the line. And that's just what he does. I don't think I've ever seen anything unique out of this guy. I almost feel like I'd shield with him more often than strike because he's just not killing very much. Yeah. The three might on him is more of a, uh, like for heroic moves uh, or those heroic defense, heroic strike if he needs it. Um, I think if you're pairing heroic strike, the fact that he has that, I think the only reason I'd end up using it is I've, I've completely surrounded a target, but otherwise heroic defense is probably going to be his go-to option if he's dealing with like an Azog or something like that. I don't think he's going for the kill. Um mm. 65 points for a hero of fortitude is excellent. I mean, that's realistically my take on him. I mean, do would I take him in a Gondor list? I think absolutely. I think he has a lot of places. Uh, you know, if Tim asks, no, it's not an auto-include. I don't, I don't think he is either. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't going to ask that. What are you talking about? No, of course not. No. Who would ask such a thing? <laughs> so, and the yeah. other interesting note is he has shield wall which is uh, very good considering he doesn't back away. So you only need one row rather than two rows 
of where's Minas Tirith and uh, he can go to defense eight. So that's what his, his job is to survive, which in this game actually is not a bad job to have. Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel like he plays quite opposite to hear it in the sense where you want to conserve his might to an extent, because exactly what Devin said, you could use him to heroic march or not. No, he can't heroic march, heroic move in the end of the game or heroic defense against say an Azog Bolg or Aragorn. But I also like the option of saving his might because I played against this pet, pet pesky sucker. And I'm like, you're still alive. Just go to sleep, brother. Like, what are you doing here? Like the fight for the fight for, I'd say though, makes him, kind of not really effective at killing stuff but yeah I've, I've i've seen him seen my opponent before save his might and then um towards the end of the game he might have one or two might and he'll throw him against one of your mega heroes and he'll heroic strike and then he'll get the heroic strike off you have to spend your might to heroic strike back against him i know he's really effective against certain heroes that you see a lot um like like who like um, Aomir type models who are going to need a six to wound him and him having two wounds and a, and, and a, and a, and a fate it's going to come come hard especially when you can heroic strike against Aomir and, and the Aomir player knows he has to heroic strike or else he's going to like lose basically so I, I like him again to back to Tim like Tim he's not an auto include who said that i don't know i didn't hear anyone say that i didn't you're like that guy at the restaurant would you like to make that a large it's only 40 cents sir hero fortitude it's so worth it it's so worth it he's only an extra five points sir you can really fit him into your meal deal no but yeah i like him um it depends on how you want to build because his lack of rogue march you use him as a role as most people are going to use uh, a captain, but like the lack of heroic march makes your army a little less effective. I don't know. What, what do you think, Matt, Matt H? No, I, I agree. He's, he has a niche purpose or a niche purpose, however you say that. And the fact that he's compared to the next profile we'll talk about that has bodyguard and has March. He just never makes it into my list ever. So this is an interesting one, the next profile, because I know that Matt, Matt Iverson specifically has been talking about how much he likes this profile. So I'm interested to hear Matt's point on uh, Irolas. So I'll move that over to Matt. Well, I, I do like Irolas, but before I get there, I guess I would want to put in one last pitch for Ingold. And I think um, Devin kind of hit on it a bit, although perhaps didn't harp on it quite as much, of the single-line shield wall. As, we talk, as we'll talk when we get to the Warriors and the most cost-efficient use of points for Minas Tirith can be the, the front line of Minas Tirith warriors with shield and then the back line of uh, rangers with spear to back them up and give them fight four. And Ingold is great to kind of sit in the middle of that line, as Devin said, and make sure that that front line keeps defense seven because it doesn't back up. Um, and that's kind of his primary use is to sit in the front of a shield wall and just make sure everybody's getting that shield wall bonus. Um, and I think that's where you get your best use out of him. But with that said, um, I do think probably Irolas is a better use of 65 points in most armies. Uh, he is move six. You cannot get him a horse. He is fight five. So he's better than your average hero. He's strength four, defense six, two attacks, two wounds, courage four, 
uh, three might, one will, one fate. It's heavy armor and sword. No shield, which is interesting considering one of his special abilities we'll talk about in a moment. He can have heroic march and heroic defense. And he has the bodyguard special rule. And his other special rules defend the white city. Irolas may use the shielding special rule, even though he is not armed with a shield. If Irolas elects to shield and wins the ensuing fight, he may make a single strength force strike against one enemy model from the same fight. So Irolas has two uses. Uh, the first is he can be your heroic march in the list, and because he's got three might, he can do it three times. So he is, as we discussed last time, the alternative to Madril in some lists. He loses the ability to influence where people come on in um, the Maelstrom of Battle special rule, but he still, if you take Eurolast, you do not need to take a captain in order to get um, March in your list. And you can march three times. The other thing that he brings to the table that Madril very much does not bring is his ability to tank because he's got heroic defense. He can call it three times. He can walk into your hero. He can then call a heroic defense shield to get four attacks. And if he does win the fight, then he gets one strength four attack, which does not sound all that great unless he is fighting, say, a guy on a horse, in which case uh, that really causes the other guy to have to think, do I, have to, do I spend the might in order to win against the shielding guy or else I risk losing my horse? And Irolas is a great way to go into especially mounted big hitter heroes and just kind of suck their might away to try and get them to win fights and then probably have him still be around the turn afterwards because you're, he's forcing the other big hitter hero to spend a point of might or two points of might to win a fight where they're only going to be wounding the guy on a six and may not do any damage to him at all. Um, so he's a great way to kind of drain might points from the other other guy's big hitter. And it's, I think those two roles in combination that make either him or Madril an auto include in a ministerial list. Tim, to preempt your, your question, I think your ministerial list should have one or the other of these guys, depending on how you want to fight the list is how you choose which one to take. Yeah. I, I totally agree on all those points. Like he, he brings so many tools to the fight that you just, don't know about because his profile doesn't look that threatening but the fight five for me is the real kicker and the heroic march i'm in the camp of if i go up against him i'm prioritized killing him and shooting before before combat starts just because all the tools that he brings and the plans that he can mess up slightly with his little special rules okay so and i think just to harp one more time on the bodyguard i don't know about you guys but i'm starting to see more and more tear uh especially like with the new Black Riders list and everything, having bodyguard for a last minute uh, stand fast or being able to get in and tie people mm -hmm. up is just amazing on a hero. I guess right. for those who might ask it, I don't think there's no reason to play in gold. I guess I'll go in defensive in gold here if you're really looking for <laughs> like. <laughs> this is what I clear because I'm like, oh man, we just convinced everyone to throw their in gold away or <laughs> permanently shelve them. Um, the only defense I can say for Ingold is if you want a hero that just won't die. Or, well, not won't die. He will die. But, like, not as easily as Ingold. Defense 6 is one of the easiest defense lines for a hero that 
to chop them through, which we mentioned with Kieran. Um, the fact that you can go to that base defense seven and then possibly defense eight. Um, not to say he will survive all encounters. I mean, he's only two wounds, one fate. So yeah, he's, he's still like a captain at the end of the day. But if you are looking for someone who just will survive and at least discourage your opponent from trying to kill this hero, uh, Ingold can be an interesting option. But yeah, unfortunately, Irolas has does have a lot more utility. So, but. Now, I know it depends on the list, but and I know we're talking about how Irolas and both Madril and him are both very good profiles. Do you have a tendency to go with one or the other, or do you try to fit both into a list? Probably not both. You're yeah. one or the other, one yeah. or the other. Usually. Which one do you guys tend to go with? Uh, well, once again, I think it depends. So, like, if you have a list that's, like, a wide list, let's say, mm-hmm. like, you have a lot of different warbands, I think Majoral's going to serve more function, right? Um, if you have Denethor in your list, Majoral's going to serve more function. Um, if you have, and for those who don't understand why I said that, Denethor being your army leader and having zero might means he can't control where he goes on the board, and he's dictating your whole battlefield. Giving him plus, minus to come on the board is great for uh, Maelstrom. So, uh, you know, I think the composition of your list is going to dictate whether or not Madrill becomes more useful. If you have Boromir or Aragorn, and then your next warband is like, let's say, Hurin, who doesn't need his might all that much, well, then Irolas starts to become more attractive, right? Because Madrill's purpose isn't really fulfilling what you need. So I think, just from my perspective, it, and then also one last thing is um, the list that we reviewed. He has six warbands, so that's what I mean by a wide list. So, you know, the more warbands you have, Madrill starts increasing in his effectiveness. Also, if your list is designed to shoot your opponent off the table, once again, Madrill is starting to increase in his effectiveness, having a bow plus three points of might. So that's... Yeah, and if you're in a six-game tournament, I mean, you're almost guaranteed to see Maelstrom at least... Once, if not twice. Right. If it's a three-game tournament, probably not the right thing, but I'm probably taking Irolas. If it's a six-game, I'm taking Madril. Yeah. Uh, the other thing to think about is, and, and I think Devin was, was alluding to this, if you've got a lot of those kind of one-point, or I'm sorry, one-might um, minor heroes in your list, you know, the, the Damrods, the, the Anboran Mablungs, the uh, Baragons, Madril becomes more important because it is really risky in a Maelstrom scenario to have, you know, one of those guys and his six friends end up right in the middle of the, you know, Gothmog and his 18 orcs. Um, whereas if your list is, you know, Boromir, Irolas, and Ingold, each with, you know, full up warbands or big chunky warbands, that's a lot less important to have Madril along. And I think that's where you take Irolas. And I guess the other thing to think about is points. You know, it, at lower points levels, you may well want the couple extra guys that you get by taking Madril and Kyrian instead of Irolas and Ingles. Okay. Uh, any final thoughts? All right. All right. Seems uh, like we all agree on that. Yeah. <laughs> where's Where's Mick? All right, I'll, I'm going to have to start disagreeing because Mick's not here. <laughs> um, now we're going to move on to the Warriors of Minas Tirith, and uh, later on we'll go over the siege weapons as well. But to start off, we'll start off with what you'll see in almost every single Minas Tirith army, which is the Warriors of Minas Tirith, and I'll move that over to Matt H. 
All right. So for some reason, every time I look at these guys, I think of Star Trek, you know, when you see the guy with the red shirt all by himself, you know, he's going <laughs> to die horribly. Uh, when you see a Minas Tirith warrior by himself, that always comes to mind. So here we go. We've got a base cost of seven points. These guys have move six, fight three, uh, hit on a four plus, strength three, defense five, one attack, one wound, courage three. And I'll just say, Always keep in mind the Minister of the Army bonus. If you're going Green Alliance, you get a plus one on that. Uh, they come with heavy armor and sword. You can kit them out with a war horn, a banner, a bow for one point, a shield for one point, a spear for one point, and they have the special rule shield wall. So what do you guys think about these guys? I think shield wall put them back on the map. Uh, you know, as far as like, because I mean, before, what was it? Before this edition, it was Fountain Court Guard or nothing like i don't know <laughs> what else you brought in a minister but i mean unless you no, no i'm sorry horde gondor so you would do it that way but i mean obviously now these guys uh you can tell that shield wall was granted to them to give them a little bit more function um i personally like them i, I think i actually still kit a lot of my lists around them mostly if i'm trying to get more numbers into my list uh especially with gondor where like having numbers is really a pain in the butt because you're getting these defense seven shield wall guys. Um, I think that against fountain court guard, they still, I think you're still seeing people bring hordes of fountain court guard over them. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I personally like them. I mean, I don't know. Is there anyone here who doesn't like them? I mean, they, they get the job done. I mean, if you want an eight point model that goes up to defense seven yeah. roof, like that's quite, even for heroes like, uh, let me give an example, like Glorfindel coming up across a, a, a shield line of that, he's not going to rogue combat through that like butter. Like it's, it's a huge frustration for myself and when I played against my, my, my opponents where it's, you just, it sucks. <laughs> it's, it's like, we, it looks like that episode where we talked <clears throat> about the, the dwarf uh, basic warriors with shield. Just for a low point cost, you get so much. They're like the Swiss Army knife. Is there a better spoon? Yes, but when you really need it in a tight pinch, the Swiss Army knife spoon is useful. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm seeing them in more and more lists as just kind of like the base good infantry figure. And you know, even if it's not a Minas Tirith list, I'm, I'm seeing them get allied into lots of other lists where somebody's like, well, I need, I need the front rank of a shield wall. Who am I going to use? Oh, these guys. Um, because they're... You know, they're, they're a cheap solution that easily allies into um, lots of other stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's nothing complicated to say about this profile. I mean, this is the base profile that you almost feel like the rest of the game is modeled off of. I mean, otherwise, I, I guess the only thing I can say is you probably won't see these guys um, with a bow too often. That's what I was but, actually just going to ask. When, when, do you guys find a use for the bows for the regular wars, Warriors of Minas Tirith, or are, are the Rangers or Citadel Guard just why, why would you not take those over the Warriors of Minas Tirith? I've actually found a really good use for the bows. If you cut it off, it makes a great pose for holding a spear and a shield. <laughs> <laughs> well, well let, me, let me be Mick on this and say, no, there's a use for the bows. I mean, the advantage that you get with a bow is, I mean, your, your defense five. So in, you know, you are against, against foot bows, your, um, you know, or ordinary foot bows, not elven bows. You're cutting the casualties you receive from folks in half. 
and to a certain extent, I think you and yeah, I, I think you end up winning a gun duel against, say, Rangers on the other side because they're both eight points a figure. Um, the Rangers will hit slightly more often, but the Warriors of Minas Tirith with bows will die half as often. Kind of wondering if it's slightly. I want to know the statistics on this. This is where Mick is good at this because, like, slightly. I mean, it's sixty-six percent hitting versus fifty percent versus fifty percent. So it's sixteen and a half percent as opposed to, you know, going from. Uh, I mean, I kind of want to know what the metrics is if you roll like twenty dice. And yeah. Then, like what? How many more hits is that? This is this is where Mick came in on a podcast. That's the only reason I invited him on it. Actually, jeez, <laughs> where is he? Where <laughs> well, well, I'm I'm glad I could be of some use here because I've got my little uh, statistics all written down. Oh, thank there God! You go. Yeah. I'm See, there's a, a reason he got invited. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Mick, you're fired. Matt, welcome against. to the podcast. <laughs> I have a purpose. Uh, if you're listening, you're gone now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here, let's just go um, to wound. On a, if you're wounding on a five plus, or excuse me, if you're hitting on a five plus, uh, this thing's confusing me. I'm blowing my five. chance in the spotlight. If you're, hitting on a, if you're hitting on a four plus, and you need a three plus to wound, this percentage is all messed up. You guys will have to cut this out. I'll have to relook well, at this. Well, not a three plus to wound, a four plus to wound. <laughs> I'm looking at either a five uh, my, plus to wound or a My three. matrix is all screwed up. So Sorry, Mick, you're back on the podcast. Ignore what I said, Mick. Um, yeah. I mean, basically on 20 dice, I mean, I guess it, you'll hit like, um, instead of 10 dice, you'll hit maybe 14, I guess. I don't know. I'm trying to like math it up. But I, I, I guess, yeah, the return fire to Matt's point is important. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting factor. Like, okay. You know, your guys won't die as often. And I think that's probably another point that has to be factored into this, which Matt was bringing up, is the fact that you have five defense instead of four. So against another uh, strength two shooting army, you actually can win the bow war against, essentially against them. I guess the only time this doesn't matter as much as if you have Gandalf. But, um, I, I mean, I would say there's not no reason to take the bow. It's just more rare. I think people are definitely favoring the three-up accuracy. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it, the other thing you get out of the, the Rangers is fight four. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the other thing to think about here, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure I've ever tried this, but it, it can be done is to throw a shield on the guys with the bows and, uh, or throw a shield and a spear on the guys with the bows. Well, technically and, a shield wall. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they have shield wall. Um, it's like when you see Urukai crossbowmen take shields, even though they don't. It's, it's so they're basically nine-point bowmen at six defense. If yeah. being shot at. Yeah, if being shot at. Um, What's well, the rule though? If you're holding both, if you have a bow and a shield, you don't get the you don't get the defense bonus from the shield. But if you have like three of these guys and they're all touching each other. The shield wall then they, should kick into effect. Yeah, shield oh, wall kicks into effect, defense. so that brings yeah. you up to def, it brings you up to defense six. That's a good call. There's an interesting argument that if you shoot the bow, I would want to see the wording if you actually forfeit the shield entirely for the round, which means then you would want to shoot second. But I don't know if that's actually how that so interaction works. That's, that's a good point, though. If you took all, uh, if you took them with shields and their defense six with the four plus shoot and strength two bows, are they much more valuable now? Or is it just kind of like there's nine points there? I'd rather take something else. Well, they're definitely valuable. I mean, now at nine points, 
Because if you took the shield and make them defense six, where you know even elves need sixes to wound. I'm trying to think of another model in the game that has nine defense, or I'm sorry, six defense at nine points with a bow. I'm trying to think of through dwarves, and I don't think there's really. No, it is dwarves. It is dwarf warrior. Dwarf, dwarf warrior, warrior with a bow. With a bow? Yeah. Okay. I'm... They don't have. They have strength three bows in eighteen inch range, though. Yeah. Oh, okay. So distance. Yeah. yeah. So it's like kind of still a variable, but but I mean, it's. I I guess I've never tested it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's something to think about. I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do with the Warrior of Minas Tirith that I, I don't think people have explored necessarily as much, and it's probably worth doing. I mean, you know, is it worth, is it worth, you know, bringing them up to 10 points, throwing the spear on and just having them be the second rank of your, uh, of your shield wall. Um, and, or, you know, some of them, you know, mix them in with the shield and, and spear guys and kind of shoot out of that shield wall. Cause at that point, you know, not only are they, uh, you know, defense six, if you're shooting back at them, but there's a defense seven in the way when you're shooting back at them. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, just something to, something to consider. I, I really like that point though, Matt, with the shield wall, how like, even though you don't have a shield out, you get the shield wall benefits. So very good take on the, the making them more useful. Uh, we're going to move on to the next warrior, which is the Knight of Ministereth. So I'll move that over to Rainier. All right. So the Knight of Ministereth, um, I'm, a, I'm a real big fan of him. He is 13 points base, uh, Basic is um, fight three, uh, strength three, d5, one attack, one wound, courage three. So the the same thing as a warrior just on a horse. He also has the shield wall. You can even add a a shield to him to make him 14 points. So you basically have a 14-point warrior of Minas Tirith with a lance. Galloping. um, Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of these guys for two reasons. The first, of course, is they're cheap objective grabbers. And reconnaissance, um, you cut, you come, you come up a game like reconnoiter, and you have a few of them go. I mean, fourteen points, thirteen if you don't bring a shield, they get shot, or someone deploys a whole warband to stop them. You're getting quite a lot of bang for your fourteen points. Um, second, whenever I build a competitive tournament, I usually don't do too much cavalry because um, I, I, I want them for objective grabbers. For these guys in a Gondor list, I would throw quite a few in actually just because how many are you talking I'm talking like six or eight mm. dozen a dozen, six or eight dozen yeah. yeah no no six or eight dozen oh. yeah six or eight dozen with uh, no, just, five just, five five, casual, five the dwarf clusters too you want to represent the movie of Faramir's charge that's right yeah <laughs> you got your buddy eating like a pig in the corner and then your other buddy singing an opera <laughs> for new players uh listening don't do that you will lose your games <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> One point I want to bring up, though, about the Warriors of Minas Tirith, or I'm sorry, the Knights of Minas Tirith, um, if you take Boromir, and he, they are within range, they become fight for, and for me personally, they are the best cheap cav in the game at that point when they're within range of Boromir. Because now you have a yeah. fight for model on the charge with a lance at defense six with a shield at 14 points. And a lot of people consider the um, Serpent Riders at 13 points the best but if Boromir's in range, that one point is – they're absolutely better than the Serpent Riders. Um, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think you try exactly. to keep them around. If you have Boromir on your list with the banner, 
you try to keep these nights around them as much as possible because then they're incredibly valuable. Yeah, and we just talked about like the benefits of a basic war of Minas Tirith. I mean, worst comes to shove, your your knight gets shot, his horse gets shot, and now you have a D seven, um, D six, but like realistically D seven with your army guy just roaming around being being a pain in the butt. I, I like them too, even without Boromir, because thirteen to fourteen points, you're gonna throw this guy into a battle line. It's like, okay, maybe I waste thirteen points, but if your opponent rolls bad, even if he's fight four, that knight's going to cut through like warrior, like other, other units really easily. So yeah, I think there's so much, so much uh, that they can bring, especially with all the heroes that we're talking about. You're going to have your heroes all around the battlefield, many of which have heroic strike or are fight five or have these special abilities. And just the, the knights complement the list so well just for what they do to get to get a big punch out of a basic cavalry unit is, is very good. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. I mean, obviously, um, yeah, I, I bring absolutely four of these guys, I would say, probably three at the minimum. I think in almost every Gondor list, even the list review, we mentioned, hey, why don't you just add a few of these guys in? They're excellent utility units, and just for the base cost that you're getting, the fact that they have a lance, once again, that plus one to wound is huge. Uh, and that's, to Tim's point, the reason Serpent... Uh, riders are actually considered the best is the fight for it's pointless to have a lance if you're losing the fight right well around Boromir they not only get a banner bonus but they go to fight four and yeah they become probably the most cost effective cavalry in the game considering their defense six uh, on the well while mounted so I mean, yeah, I absolutely love this profile. I think it's great. And I think the only reason you don't bring more of them is because of the 40 mil base. So for the newer players listening to this, uh, yeah, why don't you bring more is really that. The 40 mil base prevents them from realistically you can uh, basically your opponent can get like four models to your one in the combats and that can become devastating to you. And it's really hard to kind of fit your army through it. But yeah, when you have like four to six of these guys, it's perfect for flanking and what you need to do. And end of game. If, if you're broken and you're trying to stay on that objective, if you've got your army bonus, what 72% of the time you're passing your courage tests with these guys. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're okay to leave by themselves and they'll mm -hmm. hold that objective. If only we could get skinnier horses for them. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I could fit that horse model on a 25 mil base. <laughs> he GW just has to put like all of his hooves together and just yeah. stand there. <laughs> they create a rule. If it sits, it fits. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. I, I think everybody agrees. Pretty solid model. Now we're going to get into a model that's a little controversial. Oh, I'm sorry. We're going to go over to the Ranger, and then we'll go to a controversial model. So for the Ranger, I'll move over to Rainier again. Uh, so the Ranger right. of Gondor. So this one, of, like you mentioned, is not controversial. Yes. This is, I would yes. say, probably <laughs> outside of the Fountain Court Guard, one of the most, I don't know, cost-efficient models that you can bring in a Gondor list, and it gives so much to the army. So for starters, you're getting a Fight 4 model that can hit on threes with a bow. Um, they're automatically... For eight points, they automatically come with a bow, one point for an upgrade with a spear. Uh, typical fight three, D4, uh, one attack, one wound, and courage three. So um, you see these, of course, we've talked many times about the ranger ranger list, pure legion, legion, legion list, how dangerous it is. But I even think if you bring this with a, 
like like a themed themed ministers list or a themed Osculeth list or just a straight Gondor list, they can do quite a lot. At nine points, you're getting a model that hits on three um, with a spear support of fight four. And that's quite that in my opinion, that's where they shine the most because the soft fight four is kind of squishy even in shooting. Um, and, and especially combat, but I don't know, nine points for a spear support model that can hit on three like that. That's crazy in, in my opinion. I don't know. I'm safe for what you guys have to say, but it's very similar, just probably similar. They're just really good models for, for, for their points. I mean, I'll go out on a limb and say that the way to construct a Minas Tirith battle line these days is warriors of Minas Tirith in front, rangers of Gondor with spear in back. And that's the most cost-efficient way, efficient way to put together a minister list. Um, and I mean, because you're at that point, you're it's it's basically seventeen points a file um, for what ends up being you know fight four, and it shoots with a three plus. If you have Boromir once again, this is compounding. Like it's not a fight five back. Yeah, line. then it's elves. Uh, yeah, yep. yeah. <laughs> you basically have an elven line. El- 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 elf spear uh, support for like nine points. That's, that's yep. Okay, so I don't think anybody disagrees. Very, very solid profile. Very good. Um, move on to the what I was about to say was controversial, which is the Citadel Guard. So we'll focus first on without any upgrades. And then we'll talk about the upgrades real quick. So before we do that, I'll move that over to Matt H. All right. So, All right. So, oh, so, sorry. Go ahead. These guys uh, have kind of a niche use, and that's when you build your Minas Tirith army exactly as Matt I stated. When you maximize your bow count and you still need a few spear support that give you fight four, you use these guys. So the Citadel Guards there, move six, fight four, hit on a four plus, strength three, defense five, Attacks one, wound one, courage three. They're nine points base. Uh, they've got heavy armor, sword, and spear to start with. You can give them a horse, and you can swap the spear for a longbow uh, and for one point. They do have the bodyguard special rule. So these guys, I always toy around with it. I love the idea of, like, max spamming them in the back line, but every time I build a list, I wind up using rangers instead, and these guys just make up for when I hit my bow limit, they fill in the rest of the gaps. Um, love the concept, but the fact that they don't have shield wall or cannot take a shield and are only defense five compared to a ranger who's defense four, it just seems like they always wind up falling out of my list. What do you guys think? It's actually kind of interesting when you do a direct comparison with the Rangers, it almost to anyone looking at it, it almost feels like, well, why not take more of these guys? Cause like you have the Ranger of Gondor for one point more, you get an extra defense and bodyguard, which means theoretically they're getting bodyguard for free in direct comparison with the Ranger of Gondor. So is it worth that extra point to not only get a long bow instead of a regular bow, which is now strength three, but also have the bodyguard special rule. There is almost an interesting argument to be made uh, that getting a Citadel guard with a bow could be for 10 points more cost efficient than nine point Ranger of Gondor. What do you guys think about that? So the, well, yeah, I just think the fact that they have to give up their spear in doing so makes it a little tough. But oh yeah, that's I guess yeah. Sorry, I completely yeah. left that out. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I think it would be I great think, except for that point. Yeah, that point. <laughs> <laughs> I I think they negate the idea that we're toying with with just a regular Minotaur's warrior with bow, and I say that because for one point more you could get a strength three 
which does a ton of damage. Um, I, I like them personally. I've played them in, in just fun, fun themey lists with my friends, and I'm like, oh, actually, these guys are pretty strong. And actually, Rob Cron, who was on the show some few weeks past, he uses them, and I don't know, what do you guys think about them on horse, too? Because he's used them with horse. So there's 16 points on horse. Um, obviously, they're defense five. However, I think you I, – I can only speak for what I would do, but – I think you only take them on horse if Vormir is around the banner, because then they're def- then they're fight five on the charge, um, and then it makes them much more. Because sixteen points, I'd much rather have a, a regular um, warrior Minas Tirith with lance and shield for fourteen points than these guys for sixteen, unless Vormir's around, and then I definitely start to consider them more because of the fight five. It, it is worth guard. it is worth having a couple of these guys because I actually have a bunch of these guys converted to be on horse. I mean, that was, that was back in the old edition when they could use their spears well mounted. So they were, you know, great for backing up Aragorn with a spear. Can you Aragorn not do that anymore? Cause actually I was about to mention that. Yeah. That, I think you, I think you can't. Um, can we actually look that it, up? It, Cause I, it has I, to be I, an I equal it was a, or smaller size base. But see, that's the thing though. Yeah. They are it is equal an equal size, size base. base. So they actually, I was about to mention that because when he mentioned Bordermere, I'm like, there's this hidden purpose behind these guys. I would always bring equivalent to the number of heroes you have mounted. Um, like if you're kind of wanted structure lifts like that, because they can spear support your heroes. They're the only model in the game that can do that other than Rangers of the North, which they're too cost effect, uh, point. Right. I'll have to go look that up. I, I yeah. had in my head that you could no longer spear support mounted models, but maybe I'm wrong about I that. I think the only restriction is base size. Base I size. think Devin it, might be right on this, actually. Yeah. I think I remember because right. there's very few models in the game that have there's a spear. There's no other model except for the Ranger of the North. They're the only that's, two yeah. that have a spear while mounted. They're the only two. And so that's why actually like i do find myself bringing like one to you know to spear support boromir or aragorn or whatnot i was gonna say then take back everything i said (laughs) Um, the the other use the other use they do have is as objective holders because they they can get a a longbow and have bodyguards so they are they are somewhat more useful than minister of knights to run off someplace where they can just then sit behind a tree and plink with their longbow knowing that as long as your general is on the board, they are never going to run away. Okay, yes. so I guess final questions. So are you a fan of Ranger of Gondor or Citadel Guard with, spe- or with bow? Which one are you going to? Ranger well, I, of Gondor. Yeah, Ranger of Gondor because of the spear. I forgot completely they have to swap the spear out. And so that is – now it's no longer – points fishing at all and you're losing the spear support is the strength three bow plus the fact that your defense five with bodyguard so not only can you hold objectives from back and shoot people down but you also it's much harder to kill you from being shot at you do more damage shooting and you take less damage shooting does that not have a big factor just because i'm not saying the spear isn't invaluable but you're, you're definitely making these guys your frontline option at that point because the thing about this is if you get, like, let's say 33% of these guys, let's just say you did that. Mm-hmm. Well, if you put them in the back rank, then that means they no longer can support once the battle line meets. So they have to walk around in order to get to your opponent. So that's a problem that the Rangers don't have to deal with. And terrain can sometimes mean where you, you have to fight as a battle line. So a lot of times the terrain will dictate that. So if you put them in the front rank, then now you have a defense five front rank. Once again, a problem that the Rangers don't have to deal with. They can be in the back rank. So I think that if you're okay with the defense five front rank, maybe you have 
50-50? You know, what do you mean 50-50? You mean so like, like back rank Rangers of Condor, front rank Citadel Guard with bows. And you have well, you defense five. do that. I mean, because you were comparing the Citadel Guard with a longbow to the Ranger of Gondor. Yeah, well, I guess I was saying, you know, as a whole, would you rather have one or the other? But at the same time, would you rather take 50-50? Well, you couldn't because now you're 100% bows. No, no, no. But let's say you take a third of your army. You take six with um, six Citadel Guard in the front, six Rangers of Gondor in the back. Oh, uh, okay. I see what you're saying. You still, have, right. uh, you still have a third bows, but half of them, half of the bows are one half of the bows. So the it's not a terrible idea to do that given the bodyguard. And I think bodyguard, bodyguard defense is, five too. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I don't think that Citadel Guard should never be taken at all. Um, I think that the Rangers are more cost efficient and provide the spear support that you need to solve all those problems. But um, yeah, the bodyguard, if you do not, it, it's really the next profile we're going to review that like, if you don't take the longbow, the next profile is probably the better option. But if you do, then yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be against a 50-50 just to get sprinkle in that bodyguard. I, yeah, I think it's not a bad option. You just don't want too many mm-hmm. to prevent your battle line from being like it, totally overwhelmed. Um, so, cause you just won't get those spears. Otherwise though, I think there's a great argument for taking them mounted. Uh, they can tag ring rays or whatnot. Um, they actually fulfill a, an interesting purpose while mounted uh, with a longbow even. Um, but uh, actually, after, and, and, and we'll make this the last part about the, the Citadel guard after the point of, if they can, if they can support and they are surrounded by Boromir to, to resolve, that, to resolve that, the the spear rule says an infantry model that is armed uh, okay. with a spear oh, okay. may no, assist a friendly no, model. I got everyone excited on the oh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just broke new territory and Matt put me back in my place. Well, this is an interesting point, though. Would you actually take them mounted with a longbow at yes. seventeen? Yeah, I, I think that's that's why if you're going to take them mounted, you, got, you yeah. take a couple of them, you give them the longbow and then they can run off, sit on the remote objective, and just kind of plink away with their strength three bow from there. Okay. Uh, we'll move on to the next model, which is a very popular one amongst everyone, which is the Guard of the Fountain Court. And I will move that over to Matt Iverson. The answer is yes. <laughs> yes. You must take them. <laughs> the answer is actually no. Uh, all right. So Guard of the Fountain Court, fight four, strength three, defense six, one attack, one wound, courage three. Heavy armor, dagger, and spear. Uh, you can replace the spear with a banner, and you can give them a shield for one point. Their special rule is bodyguard. And I don't know. This, this is going to be a point of differentiation. I end up rarely taking these guys um, just because of the points, because I find I can find a more point-efficient solution somewhere else in the list um, if I want a bodyguard figure, I'll get a Citadel guard. If I want um, a defense seven guy to stand in the front of the line, I'll take a warrior of Minas Tirith. If I want to fight four guy with a spear, I'll take a ranger of Gondor. Um, but yeah, if I got a few points left over, then I think I will upgrade my you know handful of Citadel guard to these guys. But I know Devin and, and, and his meta down there in DC has entire armies full of this guy. So what's thematic? They were all over middle earth. It's true. They were, they were you <laughs> couldn't swing a dead cat in without getting a fountain court guard. So, I mean, uh, but, but I mean, talk, talk through the, the theory behind the, 
my army is entirely guard of the fountain court. I mean, Matt's right. They're, they're, at this point, you know, they obviously shifted things where before in the old meta, you, you would see these guys literally everywhere. You can, unless you're playing Horde Gondor, you just brought these. Um, and now, yeah, you can find a lot of purpose uh, in the other units. I think it's the fact that they bring all of it together. Um, they bring the Defense 7 combined with the Fight 4. And, and, and to Matt's point, yeah, if you do Rangers backed up by Warriors of Minas, uh, I'm sorry, Rangers backing up, Warriors of Minas Tirith, you can get, for the most part, all of the functions that these guys provide. It's, I think the reason you see armies of them is the the bodyguard. Defense 7 means you're not heroic combating through these unless you're Bolg or something. Um, you know, the Fight 4 combined with the banner uh, of Minas Tirith. I mean... <laughs> I want to actually math it out and see how many models you're actually losing by having an army of these guys. Um, I, and I wish I kind of did that before the podcast, but I think you just see these because they, they just fulfill every single function and they often, yeah, you're going to lose the bow war. If you bring an army of these, you're, you're clearly going to your opponent. That is your intent. Um, but luckily you're not getting shot off the table. Uh, whereas if you have Warriors Minas Tirith backed by Rangers, you could be theoretically. I mean, if you're fighting against like, let's say Corsairs, I think you're going to lose that gunfight. Um, whereas here, I'm not too worried. Uh, I mean, it, it it's kind of a, I struggle to make this argument that you, I don't think that it is required that you should do this. I don't think that like, this is the go-to Gondor list. This is the meta winner. I think there is a lot of reasons. And most specifically for what Matt stated, the points is that it's more points efficient to bring all the other stuff. But I, I mean, I guess I just find that these guys are so hard to chomp through and then never don't really have any weaknesses. There's no real weaknesses with the other than the strength three. Like I, I guess that's one reason I like them so much for 11 points. Mm -hmm. Trying to think, um, you compare him to an Iron Hills warrior. And I think the closest comparison is, uh, well, I mean, you could say the Iron Hills warrior because the only difference really is the strength four and the courage three. Well, the is Iron Hills warriors go up to defense eight too because they have shield. Blood. Yeah, there's that. Yeah. Um, I think if we're talking stat lines specifically, the closest comparison might be a Kazakh guard. Obviously, they don't have a spear, but they have the same exact stat line. Um, Besides that, they have bodyguard and they have Except these guys can shield, which is not yeah. that's, that's the, true. The, the, these guys are just so good the whole game. I think. I mean, like you come up against a shooting army, they're gonna soak up a whole bunch of bow fire, even crossbow fire, if you throw a shield on them. And then late game, mm -hmm. they're bodyguard, and they of course they all have spears too. So it's like the whole time through the game, you're, these guys are gonna be a thorn in your side. Albeit whether if you take like 15% of your army, 20% of your RB, or like Rob Cron, 95% of your army <laughs> be, be, being these guys. But yeah, I think they're, they're quite a pain. And their only, their only thing that doesn't make them perfect is that they're only strength three. I don't think they need it. And the, and the ability to, I mean, we're comparing them to dwarves, but like, I think the cheapest dwarf hero is probably like 65 or so points. Mm -hmm. Average rounds up to like maybe 85 you can throw these guys in a Gondor list with a 50-point hero who can heroic march across the field. Like, these guys, just what they give to Gondor is so well. And I know we've we've tooted Boromir's horn, but fight five bodyguard troops for 11 if you have Boromir's, or not Boromir's horn, banner. Fight five D7 bodyguard units is just 
not fun to play against, to be honest. That's the and, other thing is they have defense seven natural. So it's like yeah. it, you don't need the shield wall to grant it. Once you get the Gondorians, kind of like if you have front rank Warriors Moons here, back rank Rangers, getting rid of that shield wall is as simple as getting in combat with them. And that, yeah. that's it. Like, Unless it, you have Ingold. Unless you have Ingold, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so if you have Ingold, you don't have to bring War, uh, Fountain Court Guard. But, but otherwise, like as soon as you're in combat, yeah, I mean, if you're doing that front back, that's the the other argument I could say to it is that you you do lose that defense seven, and it's immediate because you you push them back, and then that's it. That's the end of your defense seven. So um, here's an interesting point, though. If, so if you took two Fountain Court guards with shields, which I think everybody takes them with shields regardless, and you took a Ranger of Gondor with spears and a warrior menace turret in front with shield, that's a five-point difference between those two. That's five points you save by doing those two. So if you were to do a war band of that, that's 30 points right there that you save. So to Matt's, to Matt's point, not only do you get the fight five and you have a pretty high defense front rank, you also save 30 points for one war band by doing that. What, what, did you, what was the composition you said? So if you did, if you did a war band of Fountain Court Guard and let's say you did um, a war band of either rangers with spear supported or warriors minister with shield. Just rangers, or well, no. What I'm saying, what I'm saying is, the front rank is completely warriors minister with shield, oh, okay. right? And the back rank is either rangers of Gondor with spear or warriors minister with shield and spear because they're the same points. Mm. You save thirty points for that war band, mm. and and that's the the, the clear argument right like is the the cost savings it just depends on what you value because you're getting a bodyguarded front line if you happen to not care about that because of the courage buff you know maybe you even i don't think you would do this but like maybe if you're allied with fiefdoms and you're grabbing like um what's his name Forlong, then yeah probably the bodyguard isn't really as relevant but um i mean yeah you're, you're losing the bodyguard you lose the defense seven um i mean those are the two main things I would say. Oh, and by the way, are you saying 30 points when you're factoring in, does a front line have spears? Because remember we said that it's 11 points a piece, but that's if you give everyone spears, if you go full front line back line, then mm -hmm. that's not everyone having spears. Six. No, of them yeah. The front, the so, front rank just has shield. The back yeah. rank have shield and spear or Rangers of Gondor. Oh, wait. Never mind. They all are 11. Sorry. I'm yeah. thinking for some reason you're paying for the spear, but you're not. You're paying for the shield. So yeah, yeah, you're paying for and that's really my biggest sadness when I look at the fountain court is that the spear comes with it base. I mean, because yeah. really I like these guys in the front line. And then right. It'd be cool if they had swords too. Like they were holding like a shield with a sword profile. That'd be pretty mm -hmm. cool to see as well. Um, basically, yeah, what I'm going to ask you is if you took majority guard of the fountain court, do you take more than two warbands worth or do you go completely uh, – Guards of the Fountain Court. So, do you include archers if you include Guard of the Fountain Court com completely? So, do you go one third bows and let's say two warbands of Fountain Court card, or do you go three warbands of Fountain Court card? Hmm. Well, I think bringing bows is a, a great idea. I mean, I, I've obviously down in DC we play lists where it's just like almost 100% Fountain Court, and you know, you're clearly going to your opponent in those lists. But, um, and I say almost 100% because you're sprinkling cav and such. But, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't see a problem with you going 33% bows and then trying to win the bow war, especially if you have Gandalf in the last. <laughs> so. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll move on to the next profile, uh, which is something you don't see almost ever, but we did see in our list earlier, uh, the Asgillith Veteran. 
So I'll move that over to Matt H. The answer is no. <laughs> the most the most competitive unit in the game. All right, so sarcasm aside, we've got the Osgiliath veteran. Eight points base. Man, Gondor, infantry, warrior keywords. Movement six, fight three, hit on a four plus. Strength three, defense five, one attack, one wound. Courage four, so a little bit higher than the normal warriors. They come with a heavy armor and a sword. You can kit them out with a bow for one point, a shield for one point, a spear for one point. And they have a special rule, loyal to the captains, passive. The veteran, uh, let's see, if this model is within six inches of either Boromir or Faramir, then this model will receive plus one bonus to its fight value. This is cumulative with other fight value bonuses. So the obvious there is you'd go up to fight four if you're next to Boromir, and if he's got the banner, you could have potentially fight five warriors. Well, actually, couldn't it? So correct me if I'm wrong. If this model is within six inches of either Boromir or Faramir, then this model is... Okay, so if, okay, I thought it was Boromir and Faramir. Never mind, it's Boromir or Faramir. Okay, yeah. I thought I was gonna say maybe you could get them to fight six with the banner, but no, it's or specifically. Um, my my question to you guys is with this profile, if they had lowered them by one point and given them shield wall, wouldn't uh, we see these a lot more? I think oh, it yeah. would have made the um, Warriors Minister irrelevant. Okay, so even if you kept them at eight points, but just simply gave them gave shield them a shield wall, wall, they would be a lot. See, they'd be seen a lot yep. more because you could get yeah. fight five guys. Yeah, I, I, I think that's. I think they. I mean, we're we're not here to say like what they should do, but I mean, if you if you just simply gave these guys shield wall, you're going to see them a lot more because they are courage four, so they go up to courage five too. Well, with, it's uh, clearly the that bonus. they're going for the fact that they've been fighting for so long and are such hardened veterans. They forgot the basic for you. Yeah, they, <laughs> they forgot to stand. How to stand next to the guy on their left. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they didn't want you to fight in a shield wall with these guys. I, I think they wanted them to be that ragtag running around the rubble. And if they had just given them, like, I don't know, woodland creature, or, or which there's an argument the Rangers of Condor should have that. Um, huh? Uh, or, yeah, well, no, if you gave them base fight four, then you get to potentially fight six. Uh, well, you could bottom. just make, you could make it so you. I mean, I know that changes the rules, obviously, but like, I guess what you I, would need to do if you give them five four is make it not cumulative. Yes. If you did that, then then there's a reason to take them because you're saving points on the banner, yeah. or it gives a reason to bring Farmir because now you bring Farmir and now you have five five guys all over the place. Well, so, um, well, wait a second. I mean, if you just got rid of the loyal loyal to the captain special rule and you made them fight four, aren't they appropriately costed? No, no, no. What he means is keep that rule, but then make them fight four base, maybe even increase them by a point. But then you have a reason to take them because now you can save points on like the banner in order to get five, five troops in the army. That's what, it, that's what uh, Tim was getting at. Right, Tim. I think. Yeah. yeah. So, so basically then there's a reason to take them because then you can take Farmir, whom is a much more cost effective than Bormir with the banner. who goes up to like what? 225 points. Um, so much, much more cost effective. And you're still getting that fight five uh, or you could take Bormir and not take the banner, which allows you to take his Lance, which makes him more killy. Uh, so, once again, then you could bring these guys, Osgiliath veterans, and it would make sense. And you wouldn't bring an army of them because their bonus is limited to within six inches of them, which is perfect. That's actually the limiting factor that's very natural to their profile. It's a reason, actually, something probably Guard of the Fountain Court should have, so you don't take so many of them. But, yeah, I mean, as they are now, there is 
very, very little reason to take these guys. Plus, I want to mention that they're called veterans. They've been fighting. So, theoretically, shouldn't they be a better fight than the Warriors of Minister? Because yeah. they've been through battle. If, if we're in an alternate universe, the way I would do this is I would just say they're, they're all fight for. I'd get rid of the loyal to the captain special rule, and then I would just change it so that you could only take these guys in war bands led by Faramir, Faramir Madril, or Boromir. And that's another way to solve it mm-hmm. as well, if you wanted to go like that. Because um, to be fair, if, if, they, if, 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 what, if you did what Matt said, then they're fight four. With Boromir, they'd be fight five. With the army bonus, they're courage five. And then they can still get, if you, you, know, if you gave them shield wall. Yeah, I think you also gave them shield wall. And, yeah. and then you gave them shield wall, their defense. They become very useful at that point. And then more people will definitely start to take these things. Yeah, it's unfortunate because their their models actually they're very really, cool models. Very cool, models. very cool models. They're very unique poses, and I really like them. It's a shame you don't really see them. I mean, GW saved me a ton of money on these. Guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Thanks, GW, for making it so we didn't have to buy your models. Good job. Okay, uh, we're gonna move into the artillery, um, and we're gonna move into. I'm interested to hear about this from Devin specifically because. We almost never see this ever. And I'm curious from your perspective if it's because of the model after this, but we'll move on to it. It's the Gondor Battle Cry Trebuchet. So we'll move over to Devin for that. All right. So we have uh, it's a siege engine for 80 points. Um, it's a strength 10 siege weapon, uh, which only applies to its actual the target it's hitting, not the area effect. Defense 10, three wounds, so you're probably only killing it by standing next to it for a turn. Um, it's a large siege engine. I'm going to kind of skim through this, but essentially it's manned with, what, three crew? Uh, three, yeah, three uh, crew, no additional war gear. It's all just Minas Tirith warriors. Um, you can take a couple upgrades, which is the engineer captain, which you should never do under any circumstances. Uh, the flaming ammunition, which you should also probably never do, and uh, the additional crew, which is optional. So uh, then it has three special rules. Uh, Trebuchet, uh, it has indirect fire, which means it always fires at from 12 to 96 inches. Uh, the 96 part is probably for scenario play because I don't think that's even possible in tournaments. Well, if you um, want to, sh- if you want to shoot at the table, two boards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Should include that as a new rule. <laughs> you fired to someone else's table. <laughs> um, then you have, uh, and it has an area effect. So if it scores a hit against a battlefield target, all models within two inches uh, suffer a strength five hit and are knocked prone. Um, including the target, of course. And then Wall Breaker, another rule, once again, for scenario play. Uh, when you roll a wound against a siege target, uh, you roll two dice and pick the highest. Well, I guess you can fire at Smaug and uh, a, um, a movement kill. No, Smaug is not a siege target. It's just a movement kill. That's right. Movement kill is the only one you can fire at and they have this take effect. Um, other than that, so as to why you don't see it, I actually should clarify that to say you actually do see it, just not in DC. Um, probably not in, you know, the... I took it to Canada. Yeah, you actually do see this. Uh, when I've gone to Throne of Skulls in Britain, when I've gone to um, the Warhammer World GT, I have seen these weapons. And in fact, I've even seen multiples of these weapons. The trebuchet is a fantastic option if you just want to dictate, uh, you know, battlefield control without bringing a bunch of archers you would have to factor in whether or not 80 points is worth nine Rangers of Gondor. Um, because all, 
ultimately with this weapon, you're not really going to hit your opponent. I often find that the siege engine is meant to disrupt battle lines by the psychological effect it has on your opponent. It not only makes your opponent move to you, but it splits them up, which can be pretty devastating for most armies if they move too slowly to reform back up. You end up hitting them in a way where they really didn't want you to hit them the other way. Um, the fact that it can't fire into combat because you're not evil is the reason I think you see it less than, let, let's say, I'm trying to think of an evil siege weapon that you actually, because the mortar catapult's a bad example because you have to pay 180 points for the thing, or 60. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 you do see it. Long story short, Tim, you actually do see it. In fact, there's a guy, Harry Parkhill, I believe is his name. He actually runs his own podcast. He brings these things all the time. <laughs> he's, he's constantly bringing them. And um, so I think... Uh, in fact, I, I think at one event, he brought three of them. Um, yeah, Matt, you said you brought it to Canada. Yep. What, what was your experience with this thing? Uh, I mean, I thought it was a great... I mean, I had it in a thousand-point list with Fiefdoms and um, Gandalf the White and Minas Tirith. And, I mean, I thought it was a great ad. I mean, I had a bunch of shooters beside this, but... Um, you know, if you take one of these things, you know your opponent's coming to you, and it really forces your opponent to spread out. And it also really it forces your opponent to charge his heroes in quickly because that is because one of the things this thing does is if it catches somebody in the blast area, it will dismount um, the guy even if you don't kill him. Uh, so this can have a devastating effect on mounted heroes, especially since you've got the siege veteran now and you just need to get a five on the scatter in order to get this thing on target. Um, so for 80 points, which is really not that much, it's, it's a, a really decent uh, add to the list. Actually, a great point that Matt brought is um, at 1,000 points, this thing is so cost effective because yeah, yeah, you get the rest of your archers, but you're splitting them up, which means they're losing blind of light, blinding light. And at a thousand points, they probably have an army that is already hard enough to get within blinding light. But now, I mean, you can pick apart them that way. Cavalry armies are forced to come to you uh, very quickly. If they spread out, then they can lose a lot of effectiveness. Um, I think at a thousand points, these things are absolutely worth their investment and uh, cause you're not really losing much by taking them and you're always getting the trebuchet where you want it to be. And whereas archers, you know, let's say you're playing maelstrom, you, you might end up with your archer line, like right in the middle of your opponent's force. Um, you know, so uh, I mean, there's arguments to that obviously like your opponent can deploy right on top of your siege engines, but Basically, you know, long story short, for a lot of other scenarios, yeah, you can bring it exactly where you want it to be. I think these are actually great investments. I, I think just simply, you don't see them in America as much. I don't know. Actually, you know what, Matt H., uh, do you see them in Texas? Yeah, yeah, uh, quite a bit. And my brother Mitch up in Washington actually has a thousand-point tournament army that he runs. It's Sons of Errol, allied with uh, King of Men, Minas Tirith, and it's mostly all mounted, and he puts this trebuchet in the back, and the effects you guys already described of having to spread out and then come to you just sets him up for the cavalry. He actually top-tabled with it um, back in March, uh, but yeah, it's, it's really effective. I agree with all the points you guys said. I see them in Texas a lot, but what's interesting is it's almost always upgraded to a siege veteran, which I kind of like because I kind of view that as a free 50 points. But You mean uh, the, the siege captain? Yeah, that, I should have said that, the siege captain, um, which a couple times has gotten me when they drop too might to uh, 
get the some, <laughs> but yeah. But so it, you I, actually do see them upgrade it. I do. I do. But I, I don't agree with it personally. I always kind of oh, okay. laugh. I always make fun of the people that are doing it because it's like my voice is solid. 50 I'm points them. for a point of uh, light. I'm yeah, like, yeah. what are you doing? Like, yeah. I cannot support that. Find, find three other guys and just bring a second trebuchet. <laughs> there, you go, there you go. There you go. I mean, you know. Yeah, the volley I, fire is rid- ridiculous. You, you know what's actually interesting about the the trebuchet is the fact that it is more than two inches tall, which raises kind of interesting. I've actually had this situation where I I use the trebuchet as cover against a Mumak because the Mumak can't step over it because of how tall the thing is. So like all my guys would like run around to the other side of the trebuchet (laughs) while the Mumak hits the trebuchet and then charge the Mumak. Oh, Um, actually, you know, that's a, interesting also thought is that um if you have this thing and the lines meet and the scenario is such that you're not going to split up again you probably should just carry this thing into battle <laughs> and allow your, your uh, veterans to fight anchor it. your flank on it <laughs> yeah, actually you know what i wonder if no, well, I guess it'll get removed pretty quickly. But I was thinking, I'm like, what if you created like some kind of blockade, like with it? But it, <laughs> someone will stand next to it for a third. I'm just going to say this: at 800 points, maybe you take 10 trebuchets. I don't know. Well, no, because <laughs> then you end up uh, you end up with the um, whatever that scenario. Well, actually, I suppose it wouldn't matter. But the problem, the, one of the problems with this thing, and this can create problems when you have. Uh, multiples of these things it does have a 12 inch minimum you're not talking about 10 of course you're talking about like three right well i mean i just would like to. no i know tim Tim mentioned 10 trebuchets and then you started (laughs) going into a serious dialogue about it so i want to make sure our audience knows you're not actually (laughs) you you can't actually take 10 trebuchets because there (laughs) is that there is that rule that's hidden in i think it's the army list building rule where you have to have at least one hero of fortitude in your list for every siege weapon that you take. Yeah. So you can't take an artillery park. But, but I, it, it made me think of another thought, which is one weakness this thing does have is a 12-inch minimum range. So <laughs> once you get within 12 inches of it, it's useless, um, which can be a problem if you're going to be like, yeah, I'm going to take like three of these things and, and three captains is um, once the enemy gets within 12 inches of you, you're, you're 12, you're, your three trebuchets become useless. So don't get too excited. Just had to crush my dreams, didn't you? <laughs> just just wanted to I'm see here. somebody take 10. And... Well, I'm here, Tim. <laughs> there is the next siege weapon that I do want to see people take 10 of. <laughs> okay. uh, th- this has become much, not, much not more popular. <laughs> you, you see this in a lot of Gondor lists now because of the points and how effective it is. Um, so I'll move it over to Matt, which is the Gondor Avenger Bolt Thrower. All right. So the Avenger Bolt Thrower, which uh, has a, a strength of seven, a defense of 10, and three wounds. It is a small siege engine. It's crewed by two warriors of Minas Tirith with heavy armor and sword. One of those crew is the siege veteran. Uh, and they have you know, standard crewish profiles. Uh, you can upgrade the Siege Veteran to a Ministerith Engineer Captain, which uh, you should never do for the Trebuchet, and you should never, never do for the Gondor Adventure Bolt Thrower. Um, you can get Swift Reload for 20 points, uh, and I think Swift Reload... Roll two dice and pick the highest. Yeah, roll two, li- 
two dice and pick the highest for rapid fire. You can buy additional crew. So this, this weapon only has a 24 inch range and it has the rapid fire rule. So it fires D six shots each turn rather than one. If you get the swift reload, um, then uh, you're rolling two dice. And it's, it's an ordinary shooting attack rather than as a siege engine. So this does not auto kill a figure if it hits him. It does a strength seven, seven shot, but it's basically like a strength seven bow. It's not going to auto kill the guy unless he rolls fate, which is what um, the trebuchets uh, do with, um, you know, if the, if the rock lands on top of the guy, you kill him if he doesn't make his fate roll. Um, there are no scatter rolls. So again, it's just like a bow and you just, you roll to shit uh, to hit and then uh, to wound. Um, the so what this weapon is this is different from any of the other siege weapons in the game. This is not an artillery piece. This is this is really a this is a heavy machine gun. All right, that's how you should think about it. Is it is an area denial weapon that you you use it like a machine gun, and the purpose of the machine gun is not to gun tremendous numbers of people down because nobody's going to charge into the face of a machine gun. It's you set it up in the right place and that prevents people from charging across particular uh, places of ground. And so people have to either use cover to approach you or they have to go around or they need to stay out of your range. So that's the most important thing to think about when you're, when you're using this weapon is you really have to think about where you want to put it and think about which areas of the board do you want to try and deny the other deny to the other player. But you have to be careful when you put it up that it doesn't have dead space. Because uh, just like a machine gun, if somebody can sneak up on you and bushwhack you um, from an area that you can't cover with the machine gun shooting, then it's useless. Um, you know, back in the day, before this new, before I think it's one of the new one of the new FAQs did this, but uh, you used to be able to kind of capture siege weapons and use them against your opponents. I think I I think I had actually killed more figures with my opponents' Avenger bolt throwers than I had lost to my opponents' Avenger bolt throwers. <laughs> and, and and that's that's largely because they ended up kind of being put in the wrong place, and I I could kind of jump on top of them. I could either stay out of their range and force them to continually move around trying to chase me down, or uh, I could jump on top of them and kill them and capture them and, and turn them against my opponents. But that's why you really have to, I can't, can't emphasize this enough. You have to think about where you put these down, make sure that they're like covering objectives or covering the lines of advance that other folks are going to have to use to get at your army. Yeah, positioning is everything. I totally agree with that. From when I've used them and when I've seen them used, you can usually tell when you come up against a new player that brings them straight off the bat how they deploy them, how how well they're going to use them. Because I agree, a hundred percent. Positioning is everything. Have have a view, a whole area view that it's just going to dominate. Because it is, it is like you said, a machine gun. It's a little baby Gatling gun with Gondorans going. It's amazing. Can you say what, how would you deploy them? I would deploy it, of course. If there's a hill, put it on a hill. If there's a terrain piece, deploy it like you would deploy legless um, to have the most range. 
that said too, don't deploy it in an area knowing that your army is going to be in the opposite end of the battlefield. You want it to suppress, to, to use it as suppressing fire for your army or as a threat for when your opponent comes at you because you're going to have a 24 inch range of just potential death. And I know we say this, I mean, 50 points, of course, a lot of people listening to this podcast use them and know that they're, they're not always machine guns. Sometimes you order a machine gun, you get a muzzle loader. Like, <laughs> like it's, it, it happens, but just the threat of six, what is it? Strength seven hits yeah. can kill a hero it can kill a hero. It can dehorse heroes. It can blow through any high defense army line. It's just a huge threat. And I, I would even uh, potentially use them um, like a crossbow too. Don't just put it in a place where you're going to keep it there and your army's playing over here. Think a couple head, a couple turns ahead of time. Okay, I'm going to move them over here for the next two turns when they're going to need to be in position to hit my opponent's flank when I go into it or to cover my army in, 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 a, in, a, in a certain certain type of scenario. So yeah, there's a lot of ways to use them, but all in all, I agree with Matt for 50 points for a potential machine gun, like do it, play it right, but do it. I think um, so Rainier, if you're playing objective scenarios, do you ever use them to like, like say domination? Do you kind of make a plan? My army will go left and this is going to just deny the two objectives on the right and buy some time for me to go clean up on the left-hand side. Or do you just strictly think of it as a troop killer versus keep people off an objective? No, I I do it that, but I would never isolate it by itself. Um, I'd always keep at least maybe six or seven guys with it. Just to keep Uh, it from getting swarmed. Yeah. Keep it from getting swarmed and, and it makes it even more of a threat because now you can escort it somewhere and, I don't know. We had we had a battle on this podcast before, and I forget who took them, but he put them both on the corner. I, I like the idea. Yeah, I, don't, yeah I, don't, I can't. I can't. I can't. I, I can't remember who did that. I don't know. It was <laughs> a schmuck, but I don't want to say any names. Oh yeah, it was Tim. <laughs> as soon as he deployed, I instantly knew my opponent. Wasn't it Mick? I think Mick did it, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mick corrected right. it. No, no but so I was going to say put. It, a person who, for purposes of anonymity, will call Tim, and we'll go on. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay, so we'll just because it's a generic, it's a generic name, so I'll use a generic name. So there's just think Tim Hines because it's a generic name. Yeah, yeah. So he brought two of them, and he placed them both in a corner. So don't don't do that. If you have two, place one each in the corner because then you have 48 inches of just interlocking death. fields of fire. Exactly. It's exactly what, uh, shoot, I don't want to use this example, but I'm going to use it. It's what the Japanese did at Iwo Jima. They let the guys come in and they suppress fired like this. But if you have one, I'd argue putting it in the middle of the battlefield because it does the same thing. You have 24 inches this way, 24 inches this way. You put it in the corner, even if you use the strategy that a lot of people do. Corner objectives, like like you said, uh, Matt H, corner objective here, put your army here press this way and protect these. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do that. I'd want to put them in the middle. Then you have a threat of your opponent coming in the middle and you could dictate your army. Okay. I want to maybe be aggressive this way, but hold back here, defend this, this objective. And now he's going to shoot and do the exact same example, like Iwo Jima fire, or I want to push this forward. And then now your opponent can't come in and flank, flank this because you have it up the middle. So there's a lot of, I say you have one, and you're playing objectives, put it in the middle. You have to do the double, the double thing. 
Yeah, and always, I go, always play it like Legolas, basically. I go even further, and if you have one, I put it in the middle of your battle line, because mm-hmm. this is like because it's a small siege weapon. It's like a dwarf ballista. It's basically it's basically twenty five mil, and you can actually you know put guys on either side of it, put a battle line on either side of it, and because it has no zone of control, in it's actually relatively secure there because you, in most circumstances, you can't actually move a guy because it has a zone of control. You can't actually move a guy into contact with it and have him sit there for a turn um, because of the zones of control on either side. Uh, And even if somebody does move somebody into contact with it, it can still shoot that turn. So you can just, you know, blow him away. I mean, as long as he can't get around and, contact uh the crew that's actually serving it if you've got a battle line protecting them just having somebody move into contact with the front of uh the bolt thrower will not stop the bolt thrower from shooting so it ends up becoming a situation where you've got like guys charging the guns and getting blown back um and uh uh you know over and over again and it put it kind of puts the other guy into a dilemma of like well if i want to if i want to get rid of this bolt thrower i have to charge into the middle of his of his shield wall and if i want to come to grips with the shield wall i have to close on the avenger bolt thrower and take shots on my way in and there isn't a good answer to that unless you're going to like kind of go all the way around in which case your battle line then rotates around the bolt thrower so the bolt thrower is always coming to bear on the guy who's trying to get around yeah, and um, it adds to the whole. Uh, it adds to the whole aggressive Gondorian player strategy too, because you don't have to just set it up on a hill and keep it there. If your army's moving forward and they're out of the range of the bolt thrower, heck, like like Matt was saying, put it in the middle and like here here it comes, and it's coming, coming, coming. Then when the opponent comes to you, I even like the whole wedge formation. You put your guys the bolt in the middle and your guys like this way because it still gets the whole line of sight of everyone but it's 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 coming at you i don't know even I if like a guy it. on either side as long as they're in contact with the bolt thrower the bolt thrower can shoot through it yeah so, so what is, i want to ask you guys is when when do you try to fit this in your minister's list and do you only stick to one or do you try to get two that's a good question I mean, I think this is going to really depend on your list. I, but you can get two. I mean, I've seen people do three or four of these. I think you get success of past three. Um, I think the reason you see more than one is if you're actually trying to make these things kill. Because I think the psychological factor that Matt alluded to, and yeah, I think everyone has alluded to actually, is um, more important with siege weapons. A lot of new players have to get frustrated because they're like, I'm not killing anything with my siege weapons. And I'm like, well, that's not really what they're there for. They're actually for the threat of what you could do. It's the threat that the trebuchet could get a natural six on a hero and wipe him out, or the threat that you could roll a six and get all these shots. But realistically, let's look at an Avenger Bolt Thrower. It, you get D6 shots, so it could be one to three and then half of them you're missing anyway mm-hmm. and then of those half you're missing a third of those are not even wounding so realistically if you only have one of these things how many models are you actually killing in a game mm, you're probably making your points back but maybe you'll kill like five and that can be a little bit depressing in a, in a way if you're trying to get this like machine gun effect so when you see like three of them you're really 
aiming to just shoot your opponent off the table as much as possible. That is your goal. And I think for 100 points, 150 points, to get two 3D6 shots of strength seven, now you're, you're, you basically turned your bolt throwers into your actual archers. So at that point, I would say you bring two or three if you have like, not to say no other archers, you could still bring archers if you want to, but if you, if you don't have any, then I think it becomes more viable if that's your goal is to, to really make sure your opponent comes to you. So. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that because I feel like I've seen them so many times at tournaments. I've had friends play them. I've played against them and I've heard just people complaining on other tables just of how ineffective they actually are. But I, I want to piggyback on what Devin said, just the psychological scariness of having like a Gatling gun really will spook your opponent um, having one. Having two or three, I like what you said, like that's where you're actually going to get the damage done because you can use it as machine gun nests, moving forward, shooting, suppressing fire, um, killing zones, basically like cross people up. But yeah. Think hard, by the way, about buying an additional crewman for these because they only come with two crew. And yeah. getting one of these guys pinged out by Legolas or just an ordinary archer. Can... Now, I, I think they FAQ that and they it. made it three. Oh, yeah, they made it three? Yeah. Three, yeah. Oh, all right. three now. Good. Yeah. But that leads me to my next question that I had for you guys. I've only played this twice, and each time I did, I bought the Swift Reload. They weren't competitive games, but where's your guys' heads at at 20 points for an extra D6 to try and up? I think that? if you have one of them, then it yeah. can probably be a good idea. Um, if you have more than one, then no. I think what you're going for there is points effective. Like, I mean, I just think if you have two with Swift Reload, that's 140 points you're dumping into siege weapons that no longer are effective as soon as you hit combat. That is a lot for a point sink. Um, so I, I like Swift Reload. I actually do think it's a really good rule, but I'm not convinced. Like, cause you're realistically in a game, in most games you're only using this for like two or three turns. After that, uh, unless the game is like has you all over the place, or you've really got creative, like you're 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 on a hill where you can fire over the battle lines into the back ranks or something like that, a lot of times you're gonna find your your siege weapon suddenly can't fire anymore because you're not evil, and uh, so that's why I hesitate on the swift reload. But I don't know anyone disagree with me on that. Well, I think as well with the swift reload, for ten more points you could get a trebuchet. So yeah, well I think you're doing they a fulfill, function then yeah it's yeah. they fulfill very different functions um but the thought then becomes if you're going to have two of these wouldn't you rather have uh, three well well yeah maybe or maybe what you do is you have one <laughs> bolt thrower with swift reload and the, your other one becomes a trebuchet because um, mm -hmm. then you have both things covered you got the long range artillery piece and you've got the heavy machine gun to you know cover the short range fire yeah, I think the 24 inches makes them less effective as the Dwarf Ballista, just in the sense that your opponent can stay out of that 24-inch shooting, or even I've come across it with my Harad or my Corsairs, and I win like a heroic shoot-off, and I take out like two of the crew member. So that's that. Are you that's possible to where I don't I don't I don't know. I just I agree so much with what Devin said, and like you're you're only realistically gonna get one or two shots. Yeah, if, and that's what I was going to bring up again. I'm like, you have to remember these things hit on a four. <laughs> yeah. And so even if you get the six, it, it, yeah. it, it never usually makes the impact a lot. I mean, yeah, it's nice if you kill like, you know, Iron Hills and you're like wiping them out with it. But 
it, the thing is you paid for that swift reload regardless of what you fought. So whether it's Goblin Town or Iron Hills. And you're really suffering for it when you fight Horde armies that don't care. Um, yeah, so yeah, if it was a yeah. three-up accuracy, then I'd be like, ooh, maybe. But... Okay. You, you know what I think this is a good add too, by the way, is the Fountain Court Guard list. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Actually, that's where I would often see them is because you're spamming out Fountain Court Guard, you don't have any archery. This gives that option for very cheap, 50 points. You just drop yep. it in. And you know the best part about it is you're actually adding three models to your list as well. So it, you're not even, like the, the problem with the Fountain Court Guard that Matt mentioned is the point sink, right? Like, so you're getting less models. Well, this kind of helps you with that problem. You're getting three models for 50 points. Um, that's not points effective, but you're, you know, it's, you're, you're still not losing out very much by bringing one. I, I, I'd also consider it a good take with Dune here from the Fiefdens list. I mean, if you yeah. combine one or two of these with Dune here and his Black Root Veil Archers, like, oh boy, you can have a field day. Make sure to max out your Black Root Veil, though. Well, actually, yeah. if you, you've got Black Root Veil archers, you almost don't need these because they, yeah. they serve the same function. <laughs> yeah, these, yeah, I mean, other than Iron Hills, Black Root Veil are taken yeah. out a lot. Yeah, oh, I, I, I love. It. I just want to give a quick shout out to like Robert Loper from the DCHL when I played him at one of your guys' events, and I had no. It, I think I played him actually in North Carolina. I had conned, and he had like two or three of these guys and it was like a scene from the last samurai where i was just like charging all my, my horses and my chariots and he was just like getting slaughtered and they just kept coming so that's like one of my fondest memories of sbg comes from that game when he's just mowing on on a hill mowing my guys down <laughs> Man, I guess that's that's it for Gondor. It's one of the larger factions. I'm actually for a faction that has like I think this faction has like triple the number of heroes that it actually has troops. Like, uh, yeah, this episode went by uh, fast. I think I think I think we had like 16. I think it's got like 20 plus heroes. I think. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like, up there. Just plethora of heroes, but um, but yeah, no, I mean, as far as. I think Venus Tirith is an army where it, you're really dictated. Your army is structured based on your heroes. Like the troops are like this filler thing, but it's really your heroes that are kind of like changing the Venus Tirith list from this to this. And so, and how they kind of operate. I mean, not to say obviously, you know, an, a Venus Tirith warrior front line and a ranger back line plays very differently from an all fountain court guard. But, uh, and, and actually it's sad because, we talked about all these models and two of them, we all kind of agreed that you're not really playing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like, Oh, that's, uh, Hey guys, where, where is the FAQ about the art? I'm looking at an errata here. Uh, where is the FAQ about giving an extra figure to the Gondor boat thrower? Uh, is it in uh, designers? It was, Con it, was yeah. it was in like the, one of the first, the first ones that they released. Yeah, they it's it's going to be three. in the, um, it's in the Lord, the armies of Lord of the Rings, uh, errata. It's going to be in the errata. Yeah. I, I just the looked errata? there and I didn't, I just looked there. I didn't see it. Um, yeah. Official errata. Let's see. When they print out the FAQ book. Um, no. <laughs> I feel like. Oh, oh, up there it is. I, I just it? missed right, it. Yep. Perfect. Okay. Uh, found it. Yep. Okay. Which I'm actually kind of surprised that they did that. Is the dwarf ballista, does it have three crew? No, it has two. So yeah, like, I'm really like. What they just made it match the model pack. 
Yeah, I think. That's oh, yeah. Okay, that right. makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So, which, interestingly enough, this is one of the few games I've ever seen that is totally dictated in its rules based on what the actual model looks like and how many come in a box. Mm. So, they, they, this is one of the few games where the design space is heavily limited by that. So. Oh, by the way, something somebody pointed out uh, online, and we should really point out before we leave the subject of Minas Tirith, is the, the King of Men's heroic tier was raised to Hero of Valor, along with a bunch of the other uh, uh, the other yep. kings. So. Luckily, I wasn't on that episode, so I can't be faulted for that, <laughs> yeah. that mistake. So when, when Devin said you. it was a Hero of Fortitude, <laughs> he was wrong. <laughs> Okay. Uh, well, thank you for turning in this week. Let us know if you agree with our thoughts and put your own in the comment section below. If you have any lists that you'd like us to review, leave those as well. And anything you'd like us to review in future episodes, leave that as well. We look forward to seeing you next week. Bye.